0: Hello and welcome to this new edition of Café Klingendal, the podcast series of the Klingendal Institute. My name is Rem Korteweg, a senior research fellow at the Klingendal Institute, and I have the great pleasure of being joined here today by Jeremy Cliff, the Berlin Bureau Chief of The Economist. Hi, Rem. Jeremy, welcome. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Germany and the political conundrum as it unfolds. And the current situation is that the uh, SPD members have voted in favor of moving forward with a grand coalition, but we're not there yet. Um, and Jeremy, I'd just like to give you the opportunity to give us your insights on where you think this is going. Is the SPD ultimately going to form a coalition agreement
1: with the CDU-CSU? Honestly, I put the probability at around 50%. I think it's it's far from certain that the party will ultimately endorse it. There's a real divide between the leadership, which I think sees the case for giving Germany a stable government. Um, it's led by people who really want to see Germany do a deal with Emmanuel Macron, so that's motivating them, particularly Martin Schulz, the party leader, former president of the European Parliament, But the base is very different, and we saw that actually at the party's conference in Bonn, which I was at the other day, where delegates representing the membership voted pretty narrowly by about 56%, 56 57% in favour of going into formal talks with Angela Merkel. Now, those are about to start, they'll take a few weeks, and then it goes back to the membership, every single one of which, every single member of which, gets a vote on whether or not to join government. And it's really hard to tell at this stage whether or not they'll endorse that course. And if it doesn't happen what's next? Well, at that point, Germany's future suddenly looks very uncertain. Of course, if they vote yes, then a the government's formed by Easter and life goes on pretty much. Um, and in fact, it really looks like life will go on because the coalition proposal is very close to what they've been doing for the last four years. So you'd have a real continuity. If not, all of that suddenly disappears. And there are two possibilities. Um, the first is that Germany goes to new elections, Um, And that's something that only the president, uh, Frank-Walter Steinmeier, can make happen. There needs to be, he needs to propose a chancellor in the Bundestag. That would be presumably Angela Merkel. She has to lose two votes in the Bundestag uh, or fail to get a majority in two votes. Then there's a third vote where it's just a case of who comes first. And then the president can say we're going to dissolve the Bundestag and call new elections. So it's ultimately up to him, but that's one course of action. And I think Angela Merkel could steer him in that direction by making it clear that she doesn't want to Mm. go for the other option, which is a minority government. Um, And that would be a CDU-CSU government with a cabinet full of CDU-CSU Christian Democrats. So that's got some advantages, I guess, for Angela Merkel, particularly as she looks to establish a few credible successes. I think everyone in Germany, everyone in Berlin accepts that Merkel's time as chancellor is slowly coming to an end. And uh, I think the question then would be, how long does this actually last? Mm. You know, Germany, unlike some other European countries, unlike, for example, uh, Denmark, which is often used as a reference point, doesn't have a tradition of minority government. And I think most people in Berlin accept that it might, if there were a minority government, it might govern for maybe six months, maybe a year. It might pass a budget. Maybe it would push through some sort of deal with Mr. Macron on the Eurozone. But then you'd have early elections, perhaps even on the day of the European Parliament elections in 2019. So those are the two main scenarios if it's an over from the SPD. That's more more than a a year.
0: That's more than a year from now.
1: It's a lot of it's a long period of uncertainty. Is very possible. And that's true even if you go to new elections, because, of course, the process of doing all those votes in the Bundestag takes a few weeks. Then you have to have a wait until the election itself. And then you're back to square one with the coalition talks, which have already taken um, four months or so. So it's perfectly possible that Germany will have no stable long-term government even by towards the end of this year. And if we look at the other side of the
0: probability, so the 50% chance that we do get a grand coalition, do you think that that would be a stable government, or given the continuity that would be built into this new coalition agreement? I mean, are we out of the woods in that case, or would German politics continue to throw a shadow or throw doubt over, uh, over
1: some of the European developments we're watching? I think it would be stable in policy terms, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, the policy Proposals for the new government, which haven't all been finalised, that's going to happen in the next few weeks. But in the first blueprint for a new grand coalition, it was fairly clear that there wasn't anything very dramatic. Um, there's a, you know, Germany has a bit nice big surplus. So there's a bit more money for things like childcare. There's some tax cuts but more or less things go on as they have for the last four years. Then there's a question of if it's stable in terms of the personnel and the power structures, and that's a a lot less clear. You know, you've got two groupings in the CDU-CSU on the centre-right, the SPD on the centre-left, that are weakened, significantly weakened by the election result in September. You know, they together had 67% of the vote in 2013, that dropped to 53% of the Mm -hmm. vote Mm -hmm. this time, so 14 points lost between them. Um, So both in both parties, the leadership has been weakened by that result. In both parties, there's a sense that they don't really want to be doing a grand coalition neither of them would have their ideal coalition partner the spd in particular is really would be really torn i mean you know if the party does vote to join a uh, coalition i don't think it'll be by a big margin mm. and so you'd have this part you know the junior coalition partner will have joined with some major doubts about whether it even really wants to be there um the question, I suppose, would be, does it last the full four years, You know, even if you do get this formal majoritarian government? Now, there are some in the SPD who say, well, we're going to write a two-year cl- break clause or a sort of two-year review into the coalition yeah. agreement, and that's already been um, hinted at in the, this initial blueprint that um, they published a few weeks ago. But it's not quite clear what that really means in practice. I think it's a sop to the SPD grassroots, so the leadership can say, there is a sort of natural point where we can say, this isn't working for us. But I think in practice, Germany's constitution doesn't really make it easy to break a government halfway through its term. So I think if there is a government, it will have a stable policy prospectus, a relatively weak leadership, but will probably go the full four years. Right. Um, Remind us again what the key decision moment we're now looking forward to. The key decision moment would probably be in early March. Formal talks are now about to proceed. Um, Angela Merkel has said she wants those done by about the 12th of February roughly um, we'll have to see if she manages that it might take longer particularly given how hard the SPD leadership is going to have to negotiate to try and get everything it can into that agreement to sell it to the members um, and then it will take about three to four weeks for the SPD to hold that uh, referendum or that, that ballot of members before they give their final say and then if, if, if it's a yes we should have a new government in Berlin by the end of March. Yeah, and if it's a no, it, we might be a year out. But It, I could, just want, it could be a year out. It could, the, if it's a no, I think
0: all bets are off. And, and in the meantime, the rest of Europe is waiting. What would the implications be for Germany's European orientation and some of the policy initiatives that have been floated if we
1: end up with a grand coalition? I think it really puts a lot of European progress on hold. You know the reality is that Germany plays an important uh, role in the European Union. It acts as a convener, um, particularly for countries actually like this, like the Netherlands. I think sort of look to Germany to orient in, in in some European debates. We've been hearing here at the conference how issues like coming trade deals rely to some extent on questions that need to be answered by the next German government, and then you've of course got this question of the eurozone reform mm-hmm. agenda you know emmanuel macron is is known to be really keen to see a stable government formed in berlin i've heard that he apparently stayed up to watch the results of the german election yeah. um so important does he consider the outcome of uh, these coalition talks um you know without germany the, the I don't think progress can be made at all. And it's interesting that already decisions that were meant to be taken soon are being postponed. So there was meant to be an agreement, I believe, on elements of the banking union yes. uh, next month, which um, Peter Altmaier, the finance minister or standing in as finance minister in the interim government in Berlin, has said we're, we won't be able to deal with that until mm-hmm. June. And mm-hmm. June seems to be the, is, is the, the point set. For a deal on eurozone reform, because you know as, as you will know as, as well as anyone this Europe has a pretty narrow window for this. you know we only have a, a few months over the course of this year before Europe starts looking to the next election to the next commission, before business in Brussels starts closing down. So I think a, a Germany that really can't act or a German government that can't act decisively mm. and with a strong mandate from the Bundestag uh, until early next year really makes all of this very difficult to achieve.
0: Yes, and this week is Davos week. You mentioned trade uh, already. There's a lot of attention being paid to the future of trade, the future of of globalization, if you will. And in that debate, Germany plays a central role, also given talks that um, the German leadership has had with U.S. counterparts, and obviously Uh, the Trump-Merkel chemistry, or the absence of chemistry, plays a a factor in this as well. Could you just give us briefly your views on where German trade policy could be heading, or what are some of the challenges in terms of getting support for Germany to play a leadership role on uh, trade liberalization?
1: I think Germany's got a very divided attitude to trade. It's quite interesting. If you look at the international scene, you mentioned Davos. Um, Angela Merkel was in Davos giving a very anti-protectionism speech. She clearly distinguished her position from that of Donald Trump. She aligned herself with Mr Macron. She aligned herself with the free traders. And that's been a, a developing theme of her late chancellorship for a while now. It was also a priority at the G20 summit that she hosted in Hamburg last year. And that makes sense, of course. Germany is a tremendously successful exporter. Um, a lot of Germans rely on the um, on various export-oriented industries. I believe it's the case that about one in five German jobs is in some way connected with the auto industry, the great uh, pride and joy of German export success. Um, and so Germany is a very naturally free-trading country in many respects. However, beneath the surface there's also a skepticism about uh, some of the costs of free trade or some of the um, concessions that have to be made as part of it. You just have to look at the big debates in Germany about TTIP, the transatlantic trade deal which now seems more or less dead or at least on ice. Um, It's interesting that the the main opposition to that didn't come from France which is considered maybe unfairly as the more naturally protectionist, more skeptical about transatlantic uh, trade in particular uh, of countries. It was actually Germany Mm -hmm. and there was a a point at the the height of the debates there when 60% of Germans, so 60% yeah. of Germans were against it. Uh, and that was largely the work of a very dedicated and effective campaign, mostly led by consumer rights activists, um, who popularized the idea that Germany's um, much cherished environmental protections, consumer protections, um, things like food safety would all be put in jeopardy, particularly by um, the investment protection clauses as, uh, as, as part of this. And so I think that just illustrated. There is a tendency in Germany also to be quite skeptical about free trade. And and I think that has to be borne in mind when we're uh, sitting around tables like this and talking about Angela Merkel as the great champion of uh, the free traders.
0: Well, thank you for that, and and we'll be sure to continue monitoring developments in Berlin because they are not just important to uh, the German electorate, but as you rightly point out, to the rest of Europe and its uh, its reform agenda, and also perhaps when we are in a context of rising protectionism, and uh, the, the, the global implications of uh, the outcome of these elections. And trade, of course, is just one of those areas. Thank you, Jeremy Cliff, for joining us at Café Klingendal. Should you be interested... In receiving future Cafe Klingendal podcasts, be sure to register at our website at (laughs) www.klingendal.org.